0: Hey, there we are everybody. How are you doing? It is the 8th of December 2022. It is time for episode 141 of this here live chat. My name is Luke Thomas. I appreciate you joining me. Uh, we're starting a little bit late today because I had to work some of the Bellator 289 weigh-ins, but those are over. Uh, seems like everybody who needed to make weight did, I think. Uh, so that's all over. So we're going to get to whatever's on your mind. Obviously, the uh, 282 is a big one or 289 could be another. Obviously, the big news in terms of I, really the best advertising 282 has had has been Patty Pimlet uh, and Ariel Hawane going back and forth, uh, quite candidly. That's the best publicity that Fights had all week. Um, not their particular battle, but that card. Because otherwise, there's not much selling it, to be quite candid. So, uh, all of that is up for grabs. Uh, if you're watching, thumbs up on YouTube. Please hit subscribe if you are new here or... Otherwise interested in the content, I will go for about an hour on free questions that you guys filled up on the thread I put on the community tab right here at youtube.com slash Luke Thomas. I will go to that. And then if you have a paid question, which you're under zero obligation to have anything, you can just watch and enjoy it for free if that's what you want to do. But to the extent you want to leave a donation, we can get to those questions with your question on the screen um, at the end. All right. All right. So thank you guys so much for joining me. As I mentioned, and without further ado. Let's get this party started, shall we? All right. And we're back. We're back. We're back. Let me see something here. Yeah. Uh, I believe Othello is in the... Yeah, he's in the studio. Very good. Um, Hope everyone's doing well. I know I am tired as balls. Uh, I was supposed to go to Connecticut. What day is it today, Thursday? I was supposed to go to Connecticut on Tuesday night for some Bellator work for Showtime. And then my flight got canceled. So they rebooked me a flight at uh, like 5.30 in the morning. (laughs) So I had to get up like at the crack of dawn uh, and then go fly to Connecticut. And then, so, so my flight got canceled. Then they booked me in the morning. So I show up at the airport in the morning and I didn't have any bags or anything. So I didn't have to check. I could just, you know, I have my backpack. I didn't, you know, I could just get the, my boarding pass and go, which is great. I also have TSA pre-check, which is great and clear. And uh, then I board my flight. I'm like, oh, this is great. And they're like, ah, there's a mechanical problem. You have to get off this flight. So we had to get off the flight. We had to deplane and then we had to go to another gate and then get back on the plane again. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make this shit on time. And then we got there and then it was an hour drive from the. Airport to where we had to go, made it. Everything worked out. Then I had to get back. And then my flight was delayed like an hour and a half yesterday getting home. So, yeah, yesterday was a long day. Long day. Long day. Mm. Diet Mountain Dew, the breakfast of champions. All right. Let me refresh and then we'll get the questions here on the screen. And then we will go. Yeah, I figured this would be the first question. Let's just sort of go ahead and get to it. Uh, let's see here like that all right i don't care what y'all say i think that's what idc means i want to hear luke's take on this patty and ariel situation i would imagine there's probably going to be a few questions on this um i will do my best to answer as best i can i think some of this stuff given that i'm a colleague of his and that we've also had previously bad blood although no longer we ariel and i have worked it out um you know there's some stuff i don't feel like i'm it's my place to say one way or the other so I'm only going to weigh in on the stuff that I feel like um, I either have something to say or contribute or is otherwise fair game. Everything that's not, I'm going to just sort of keep to myself. I will say this, though, um, not that this makes me an expert on him on Ariel, but like I've actually worked with him. You know, I'm one of the few people that actually like knows him at least a little bit in a professional capacity. Uh, and I've worked with him for many years. And, um, you know, I saw him in Phoenix. We talked for a little while. We actually did a little bit of the uh, Showtime weigh in stream together. So I think the first thing that occurs to me about all of this w- is that, dude, these like a lot of folks who take shots at him very much underestimate him. I don't think that's very wise. You know, I don't know what it is that they think about him that they think they can do that. But, like, you know, in this particular case here with Patty, it's like he was like, you know, he introduced that into the conversation with Dana unsolicited. Like Dana wasn't actually asking for any anti-Ariel content. And then Patty just offers it up and then offers it up in kind of like a ham-fisted way. And, you know, Ariel like tore him to pieces. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, these dudes underestimate him, man. Like it's, not, it's not smart to do that. It's not smart to do that and they did that the other part about it too is that it's like you know obviously in a fist fight sure that if were, the, were that to happen yeah i i would lose a fight with a fighter and ariel would too and most mma media would uh most just about every single time 99.9 percent chance or greater right but they're picking media fights with him not smart not smart i mean i'm not here to say that there's never a case to beef with anyone i mean that's under the right circumstances, if you needed to, uh, you could. But, you know, just kind of lazily attacking him and then picking a media battle. Like, dude, let me explain to you like what has already happened. And I, you can ask Brian Campbell. Brian and I were talking about this in Connecticut yesterday. I said this exactly to him yesterday. By all means, DM him and ask him. I told him this. I was like, dude, all these guys are going to do is, one, lose this particular media battle, and two, make Ariel look better. That's all that they're going to do. That's all. That's that's all that's going to happen here. And sure enough, <laughs> here we are. Um, you know, like they 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 don't understand who they're picking on, uh, and they don't understand the method by which they're picking on him with. Is a two way street, and it's not a street that they're very good at or very familiar with. Meanwhile, Ariel has been at the top of the game and has had practice at delivering media messages you know for nearly two decades um and the results speak for themselves they got smoked both of them got smoked um you know i wasn't even close (laughs) you know like like this was the most i mean these guys are just you know sideshow bob just stepping on rakes constantly you ever seen that the simpsons bit where he like has all these rakes and he just keeps on stepping into them no matter where he goes like it's what these guys are doing you know they just um they don't they don't understand the fight they're picking and they don't understand the terms of the fight they're picking and the results as a consequence end up being what they're what they are I think that's the first thing I would say about it number one um, very much underestimating Ariel like listen no one's perfect I've I've made plenty of mistakes I've probably made as many mistakes as Ariel or more right? So he's made mistakes in his own life, pre- pre- professional, personal. It's the same. It's not to say that anyone is above criticism, but like if you know Ariel a little bit, you know that, um, you know, typically speaking, in my experience, um, he knows all the ways in which someone could come back at him. And so he conducts his business in a way that enables him. Like, if if you do your business correctly, right, and you're conscious of that the entire time, then if someone goes after you, you are ready to share the results of this by virtue of your preparedness and the professional way in which you have done the job. And they've not done that. And they don't realize that other people operate that way. Um, And he does. And he does. And, you know, I've witnessed it firsthand. I witnessed it firsthand. So like, to me, like I was like, Oh, these dudes picked the wrong fight. They picked the wrong fight and all they're going to end up doing is making him look better. And by the way, like the MMA awards are tonight. I think he's going to be there. We're not obviously you seen. I couldn't make it, but, um, uh, you know he might end, end up winning a couple of awards tonight i mean i don't know that I, I i've not been given the results i have no idea but like on a day where a ufc fighter picks a fight with him and then he wins that fight convincingly and then that very night the or the very next night or whatever the industry awards him something which is very much on the table it's like <laughs> dude all you did was make the guy you hate look a lot better uh you know, they just didn't think this through very carefully from what I can tell. There's a couple of the things that kind of occur to me about this. Um, Just sort of one small thing that really kind of annoys me. I don't know if I, I, I thought I, I think I've seen the entire entirety of Ariel's response. I'm not sure about that. But from what I did see, he didn't address this, which was. You know, got these YouTube uh, fighters are now partly media, either retired ones like Bisping or Cormier or ones who are more active like Patty or I guess Henry Cejudo would be more now an active fighter as well. And they're all like, oh, now that I see what people make on YouTube, I know what you guys make. That's not how this works. Now, I don't know Ariel's contract. Um, I don't. Uh, I could be very, very wrong about this, but just knowing. I mean, I, I worked at Vox Media for 14 years. Um, obviously I didn't do it quite as well or nearly as long and under very different circumstances and very different realities, but obviously I'm the only other person ever hosted the MMA hour. So I have some reason to think, actually, I'm very confident what I'm about to say is true, the YouTube money that MMA fighting as a channel generates, I don't think Arrow would get a cut of that. Could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that uh, Vox Media would keep the entirety of that, including whatever advertising inventory they sold as a company. So, like, I think, his, I think his show has, like, a deal with either FanDuel or DraftKings. I would imagine he doesn't see any of that. In fact, I think he's got a, a, some other personal uh, better that he does, he has some kind of deal with. Um which may or may not be that one. So I like those kinds of ad deals typically in a corporation that, you know, is producing the event or the show, they would keep the proceeds of that. So when fighters are like, "Oh, I make all this money off YouTube," each month they must be making the exact same like i don't for example bc and i don't touch any of the mk money that comes from youtube ad rev i didn't touch any of the money that came from mma fighting's ad rev on the youtube channel so just like to clear up some misconception there it might be the case that mma fighting's youtube channel produces a great haul in the end of the month. And I'm by the way, I'm I am certain that Ariel is quite well compensated, as he should be. Like the show is a big success. You know, here's one thing I can say: I don't really care for Vox Media very much, but I'm not blind enough to not notice that Vox and Ariel are a very powerful combination and work very well together, right? That seems like a very fair thing to say. Um, but I don't think he gets a share of the ad rev. I do think he's probably very well paid, which again, he should be. There's nothing wrong with that. But just in terms of the mechanism of payment, it would not come from the MMA fighting accounts, YouTube ad rev. I just don't, I don't, that's just not how contracts are structured for the most part. In fact, I've never seen it structured otherwise, including on any of the other Vox properties. I don't think any of the other people there in terms of the verge or you name it, get any money from the actual ad rev. So that's sort of another small thing. I think the other thing that, like, folks don't really understand or maybe fail to appreciate or something is that, um, well, let's get into this issue. Okay, let me say this one other thing, which was, you know, like, listen, Ariel has been enormously successful, right? Enormously successful. Like, at every stage of even up my career he was always ahead of everyone else now I, we all do separate things and there's there's uh, there's a lot of overlap there's a lot of things that are not overlap. you know for example I, I don't do as much as i can by virtue of time but like you know the tape study i do he, that's not a thing that he really does and um, he does way more interviews than me i do them on occasion so there's some overlap but you know there's a lot of distinctions but he's always been kind of the brand leader in fact who's been more successful than him in this particular job nobody But at the same, and 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 I and by the way, as I mentioned, I do think Vox Media and Ariel are a very powerful combination. And so when he left ESPN and then went back to MMA fighting, you know, I'm not sure how some of the rest of the people saw it. Maybe they saw it as like, oh, things didn't work out at ESPN. That's bad for his career. But candidly, I'm like, I think he's as relevant as ever in many ways, right? Like, it's not true in the sense of like um, maybe how things the industry used to be structured. But that show is on two times a week. They get. I mean, if they don't get the biggest guests, what other show does, you know, um, I, I don't know what that one is. So like he gets in, in, in terms of inside the space, he gets the biggest guests, got the widest reach. Um, to me, that was a really powerful reunion, quite frankly. However, it is also true that, you know, Dana White in particular has really fucked with his career, really fucked with his career. I mean... If it wasn't for Dana's meddling, he would have been involved in any number of things. There wouldn't have been the huge 199 issue, but forget about that. But, like, for Mayweather McGregor, Showtime was going to hire Ariel to do, you know, I think along with Brendan Schaub, a lot of the coverage that was taken away from him. Dude, at ESPN, I I honestly think if Dana had not interfered, Ariel would have had gigs that the rest of us would never have been able to touch. Like, I remember after, like, Cain Velasquez fought Francis... He and I think it was Chael hosted like the sports center that came after that. And Dana managed to take that all away. And then, you know, it's gone on down the line. Of course, he couldn't control the entirety of it. Um, And there were other things that went really well for Ariel over at ESPN. But I just want to be clear about something like, while it is true that his return to Vox to me um, was a very powerful reunion. And to me, in many ways, he's as relevant as ever. The question is, if Dana had never interfered, how much more would there be? And if someone had fucked with my career so precisely and so powerfully in that way, dude, I'd have hard feelings too. I'd have real hard feelings. You know, I'd be very, I'd be, can you imagine? Like the only thing stopping you is the grudge of an enormously rich man who doesn't like your coverage. (laughs) You know, and we're talking about primo gigs that, just no one else would be able to get and they were taken away they weren't he wasn't like they were given to him and they fired him for doing a bad job right you know there wasn't like they were like ah this just didn't work out you're not really good enough that was never that was never the issue the issue was that uh they had a petty grudge against him and they held it they 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 surfed it and they kind of affected his career uh, in a way so like while He has been resilient. I mean, the lesson I would take from that is, okay, listen, in the end, I think Ariel's going to be okay. He's got enough of an audience. Um, Again, I I just can't overstate it. I think he and Vox Media are a very, very powerful combination. They work really, really well together. But like, if that had been anybody else in the industry, like if Dana had done that to me, I don't know if I would have survived, to be honest with you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like if he'd done it to BC, would BC have survived? I don't think so. If Dana had done that to even Brett or Kevin Ioli, like would they have survived? I don't know. I don't know. Like it's almost a miracle in many ways that uh, he was able to overcome that. It kind, of, kind of speaks to the role that he plays in the audience that he was even able to withstand all of that. And, in again, in my judgment, in, in some ways, kind of thrive. To, to be honest with you, so like don't look at the fact that he's back at Vox and doing this two times a week and getting all these guests and stuff is like. Oh, everything's hunky-dory. Yeah, again, like, objectively, he's doing well. But the amount of, you know, fuckery he had to deal with would have ruined anybody else. I think it would have ruined me. If it had happened to me, it would have ruined me. You know? So, uh, kind of amazing that he's been able to withstand that. And here he is in this place. To say nothing of the hard feelings, right, that he must have that uh, I think are entirely understandable. You know, it's just petty. The whole thing is petty. It's just pettiness. It's not really rooted in anything else, which gets me to another point here uh about all of this, which is like, I got to tell you, man, listen, <laughs> I am one of the fiercest critics of MMA media, you know, in terms of like, and we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, I got to tell you, like, here's one thing I just don't think the fighters appreciate very much. You know, you can say we don't know what their job is like and that's true and we never really will unless you fight and i i accept that as a truth and i you know this isn't i'm not about ariel uh, specifically but just as like a sort of a media uh requirement i accept that i accept that i i don't know the intricacies of their job i accept that i will never fully understand what they have to go through i sure that's true but the difference is that i actually try right spent 10 years training in gyms i have interviewed Thousands of fighters, hundreds of coaches, and I've done it for myself almost two decades. I've actually put in a lot of effort to understand that as best I can, knowing full well there will always be some differences that I just can't fully appreciate. The favor is not returned. Like, I'm fully open to the idea that MMA media can be criticized, but I don't really see a lot of effort. I see I see a lot of journalism critiques. From people who have put in zero effort into understanding how MMA media functions, why it functions the way it does, how sites are arranged, how coverage is arranged, how hiring works, not just in terms of who we get, but how it's sorted, what are the responsibilities, what are not, what are the editorial missions, how do they differ across the sites, how do they differ across the podcasts, all of these things. I don't see any effort, hardly at all, in terms of actually understanding the job, whereas Part of our job is to fully as best we can understand there. So like when they give journalism critiques, they're usually hopelessly ignorant, to be honest with you, in this particular case as well. Deeply, deeply, profoundly ignorant, in fact, is what I would say, like not even remotely worth taking all that seriously, which gets us to this question about paid guests. Um. See, this one's a little bit harder to answer because I know in Europe it's much more common practice. The answer is in the United States that uh, it would be considered really poor form. In part because now you have a um, you know a directly transactional relationship with the person giving you information, which makes the information unreliable. Um, in many cases, it changes the nature of of what you're doing in terms of information gathering altogether. It just alters the landscape in a lot of ways as to be poor form. but I'm not I'm not the, uh, you know, I'm not the public editor of MMA journalism or journalism period. So I can only tell you that there's partly a difference of opinion here, but also in the American side of things, it's sort of seen as, you know, paying for these things. Um, a, a, the MMA sites, and the podcast don't have the budget for it, so partly it's just totally unrealistic. I mean, you could argue that maybe Ariel does, but he would be the one exception. Like MK doesn't have the money for it. I can tell you that. And we've got We've got a lot of institutional support. A lot. You know, we couldn't afford it. You know, um, so so partly it's just unrealistic. Partly it's a function of like sort of geographic, you know differences defining what what is appropriate and what is not but when he says that like journalists would never pay for this kind of thing he's right they wouldn't um the only thing i think i would say and I, and again i can't speak for anyone else's career so i'm not going to in this case i will just speak about my own career and this is one thing i would ask mma media to reflect on i don't know that m in my opinion in my opinion um I had to stop using the title journalism because I just, I'm not sure. Acts of individual MMA journalism exist, and there are some that are very strict journalists in the sense that we typically understand the term to be. You know, Kareem Zidane, uh, 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 John Nash. Um, but for me personally, I could not use that title anymore because I think the requirements of that, the dispassionate distance that you have to have, and the kinds of information you have to reveal and the way in which the job would go about like the like the companies who hire M- and create MMA sites, they're not hiring you to do journalism in the very strictest sense. So there's different kinds of journalism. There's the kind of like the horse race journalism, which is more about like, you know, like, hey, X is fighting Y at Z event, which is you know, that's so sort of a different thing. But in terms of like speaking truth to power do the MMA industry does not want its media to do that. do not want its media to do that they certainly in my experience and again i was editor-in-chief of bloody elbow i was forget even what my title was at mma fighting anymore it changed many times but certainly i was the number two guy there for a long time behind the head guy in terms of like the editorial responsibilities um you know i understand that i've worked at sirius xm i had a national radio show i'm now with cbs sports and showtime I, i i personally believe i can't call myself that i don't think that's i don't think that's a fair thing to call myself and I think I, MMA media, like when Patty talked about the fact that he's a content creator not a journalist, I, you know, I, I don't know about all of that. But what I would say is there's now a lot of guys who are clear, and I should say people in the industry who are clearly not journalists. And I think to the fighter, they can't tell the difference between that and actual media. And if they, again, not speaking about aerial show per se, but just in general, in terms of what all is out there, the reason why there's confusion, I think is because they do look the same to the fighter more to the point, dude, this is an industry that is incredibly vindictive as you can see with what was happening between Dana and uh, Ariel. Uh, And it's also an industry where like, dude, if you're, if you're a regular journalist and you book an interview, um, if you, and and by the way, most of the time, this is why I have a hard time getting interviews because I just punt and I don't really give a fuck. Uh, but for me personally, like if you ask hard questions uh, and you ask enough of them, dude, the promotion's going to call you and chew you out. Their manager's going to call you and chew you out. They might call you and chew you out. And at a bare minimum, they won't come back. Now, again, I can't speak for uh, Ariel, who is like, so far above the rest of us that maybe these constraints don't necessarily happen in the same way to him. But for all of the rest of us, I can tell you that is very, 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 very true. And so... To me, like, you know, and then the, but of course, it always gets a little bit weird, too, because if you have a long standing relationship with someone like I have a long standing relationship with Max over time, that actually gives me license to ask some of the tougher stuff. So it's never a really clear situation. But what I will say is for MMA media at large, um, again, it's not so much about Ariel per se, it's about the industry the industry has made it a point to drum out as many people as it can, who actually does like real hardcore journalism. And I think that that, in addition to how the content creating industry looks just like it on the side, the differences for the fighters are marginal. One's got a bigger audience. they're so just going to go with that. And plus they might pay. It has skewed the whole thing. It has made clearly understanding the differences between the actors harder than ever. Um, and so to me, that's been a, I, I just think that um, I, I personally could not, and again, I'm not the final arbiter of these things. I personally could not call myself a journalist anymore. I don't, I just, I think the work changed. I think the industry changed. I think the audience's appetites changed. I think the media landscape in terms of who else was being a part of it, who else gets credentialed to these shows. All of it changed, and I don't think that the MMA media has fully taken stock of this point about all those differences and why fighters say things like, you know, well, this guy pays and this one doesn't. Why would I go this direction? It's like, well, they, in theory, they they do different things, really, and they're supposed to do different things. Um, But perhaps that's a conversation for a separate time. The long story short is they they – they did not know who they were fucking with and they don't know the media space nearly as well as they imagined themselves to. And they paid for it. You know, I mean, I guess they don't really care, you know? Um, <laughs> they, they, I don't know. How, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much this is like slowing down their day or whatever, but they, I don't think they come off the, oh, this looking great, you know? So long story short, um, you know, they have tried to ruin him, not Patty per se, but you know, they have tried to ruin him. They have tried to ruin him. They have tried real hard to get rid of him. And, uh, when he says, I think I did see this part when he says, excuse me, I got something in my eye when he says that like, they want to get rid of me. They want to get rid of me. That's true, man. That's true. They would love nothing more than for him to be a real estate agent somewhere or something else. Like they're they've actively tried to suppress his career. They tried to do that on a on a different way with with Josh Gross. They tried to do that in a different way with uh, John Snowden. Um, They've tried Jonathan Snowden, I should say. Uh, They've tried to do that with a few Loretta Hunt, you know. And in many ways, they have succeeded. Ariel is just so successful and so powerful by virtue of everything he's built for himself that he's able to withstand it. And in many cases, as I indicated, thrive. But um, but they tried and if he's got hard feelings about it, I get it. I get it. I just think that the way in which Patty has introduced this conversation about, about paying for interviews, um, and again, Ariel's never done that. So nor should he, uh, given the way he has structured his career, but I do think the rest of the MMA media should reflect on like why these guys are so confused, um, because it looks the same to them. You know, so if that's the case, I think for someone like me, I should reflect on that, and I think use titles more appropriate to what I think I'm doing. And I think I think that that's a larger conversation about um, how the rest of the media functions. I think the vast majority, not entirely obviously, but the vast majority of MMA media um, exists to cover fights themselves and nothing else. And you say, well, isn't that the majority? Isn't shouldn't that be the majority of the job? Yes, yes, that should be the majority of the job. However, like, you know, what about people who are sexual predators in gyms? What about guys who have, you know, stolen from fighters? What about you know, case of The Rock, where he just does a shoe deal and the fighters get not a cut of it? Like, those are issues too. And or, you know, somebody waves the flag of palestine and it gets people bitter or they're doing a fight in in some country that has a human rights record like not, not, I don't know what the answers are to any of these things but they're not strictly about the fights and yet they are still important to be had dude I've said how many times have you heard me say this on this on this thing and I'll move on to other questions but how many times have you heard me say this do the MMA industry does not want to look at itself in the mirror right they don't want the media holding up a mirror to what's really going on at all they want to high five from the media and the problem is if you don't do enough high-fiving you're going to limit yourself a little bit trust me I'm telling you I- I'm speaking from experience if you don't do enough high-fiving to the industry if you don't put your arm around the industry enough they will do their best to get rid of you it- it's just how it goes there's no or I should say very little appetite for reflecting on the bad actors and the bad things that they do. And I'm gonna say it one more time, man, there are some good managers. There's some great managers in the space, but there's a lot of really bad ones, a lot of really stupid ones. And you don't see a lot of stories about them because they are essential to MMA media, not for everyone, not in every case, but they're often quite essential as gatekeepers in getting folks onto these shows or any other place, You know, just reaching out for comment or whatever, having access to that world. And they'll close it off if you offer any kind of coverage that they deem hostile, like the industry doesn't want journalism. It doesn't want it. It wants, it wants something else. And, um, it's a hard truth for me to accept personally. And I think it's a hard truth for a lot of, uh, people who are doing their best in the industry, but. I just think that that is how the, like how do powerful people in any industry get away with it? Um, <laughs> they make it impossible to do anything else, you know? And that's, and that's, it's, it's kind of important why I like, you know, I'm, I'm conflating several issues here all altogether. At once the last thing I'll say on this, and I really been going on way too long anyway, but the last thing I'd say on this is that, um, um, How do I say this? If you want to get into this industry, you know, and and whatever whatever you want to do in it. And by the way, like not everyone. Ha- this is the thing. This is like the place that I come back to. It's like not everyone has to be Seymour Hirsch. Like the, the, that, you can do a different job and still be valuable to many many people. Like that's what I try to do for myself. Again, I can only speak for myself in that way. But I think if you are going to get into this industry, you need to be very clear about the parameters, you know, and the guys who work at some of these other sites and some of the people who are on these other, um, you know, beats or whatever inside the industry, like, you know, when they get their backs up, like, oh, and again, I'm not speaking about Ariel, I'm speaking about some of the other folks, uh, because I think, you know, Ariel and I have had personal talks about this. So, you know, some things we agree on, some things we don't, you have to get his views on some of the larger issues, but. I think if you want to get into this industry you need to be very clear about the parameters do whatever you want to do do what makes you happy do what you feel is valuable do what you feel is right but just be clear out about what you're doing you know um and what you're up against and this industry does not want people telling the truth about it doesn't mean you can't doesn't mean you shouldn't just means that if you do there ain't going to be a free lunch about it and you know, when Ariel goes after Graham Boylan, I think is his name, right? Uh, Who runs Cage Wars. Listen, I love Cage Wars. I think it's a great promotion. But is there a conflict of interest between that and being a manager? Fuck yeah, there is. Like, not just a conflict of interest, a massive one. A huge conflict of interest. I mean, it just, like, should be illegal uh, that it's it's that serious. Um And I think in the United States, it is, although I'm not entirely sure how that works with someone who is based in the UK or whatever. But um, I don't think in in boxing, you can't do both. For sure, you can't do both. I think even in MMA, you can't do both. You can't be both a manager and a fighter or a a manager and a promoter. Um, It's a conflict of interest. Like, you just can't do that. Uh, So, like when Ariel says that, he's like a billion percent right. Like, it's not, like, he's not just right. Like, that's like... There's not even that's not even up for debate. That's like ethics 101. You know, but telling the truth about that, look what happens. Look what happens. Friction. Friction. And it's not like he's even like digging up dirt or like going after folks in that way with this particular issue. He's just being like, yo, that's a massive conflict of interest. How is that up for debate? (laughs) It's like a it's like it's like one of the biggest most widely known conflicts of interest in all of fight sports. Like and and he and Ariel's the bad guy for noting that? It doesn't even it just does it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. So, you know, as someone who has worked with him and as someone who knows at least on a little bit on a professional level, you know, these guys are going to keep underestimating him and they're going to pay for it. Uh because he's been fucked with He's been shit on and a lot of other things. And he has survived and, and again, in many ways persevered. And he's ready for your smoke. So keep fucking around and finding out, I guess. I guess that's the name of the game. All right. Let's go back to this. Will, will we ever see you and Dan Hardy break down a fight together? I'd love to. Uh, he'd make a great co-host on Dissected sometime. Yeah, I would love to. I'm not sure how to make that work because he's over there and I'm over here. But uh, there might be some opportunities. There might be some opportunities. Yes, the answers. I would love to, in in part because, dude, whenever I do stuff like that, I just want to learn. I just want to learn from him, you know? So I'm sure if we did it, uh, it's like going and training with somebody else. You're always going to learn something new, you know? All right. I think we got to this one kind of already. Thoughts on Graham Boylan being both a manager and also promoter at the same time and the conflict of interest that brings. Yeah, again, how is this even debatable? People think this is someone saying that I know Mr. Boylan and that I can tell you all the kinds of things about him. I don't know the guy. Like, maybe he really does work hard. Maybe in his mind, he doesn't think it is. Maybe he tries his best to do what's right for Cage Warriors and his various clients. All I can tell you is it doesn't matter, not that those are utterly irrelevant, but in terms of the realities that we know from fight sports, it's it's, it's like... Class number one, the first day of school. Folks, here are the most important ones you could run into. Someone who promotes and someone who manages at the same time. It's a massive conflict of interest. Massive. If you have a business entanglement on the promotion side with the UFC, do I really think you are positioned well enough and even can deliver on to the maximum interest of your clients? I mean, in a world where like working backwards can help maybe, in the sense that like, okay, uh, I'm not going to be adversarial with the with the UFC. I'm going to be like, you know, really uh, trying to get on their good side. And by virtue of being on their good side and having these other like positive business entanglements, then they'll reward me on the back end. But that's not really how the job is supposed to work. The job is supposed to work where, yes, there's going to be a space between where the fighter and the promotions interests overlap. And it's the job of both entities to find that. But there's going to be space where it doesn't. And in the space where it doesn't, the the person who is the manager needs to be protecting those interests as, as much as they possibly can. If you're also promoting in a way where even if you're not promoting, I mean, I guess Patty used to be at Cage Warriors and now is not, that's one thing. But if you have a promotional deal as part of this larger like broadcasting arrangement, yes, this is a massive conflict of interest. This is not up for debate. It's not up for debate. It's not to say that everything he's done is like, you know, some kind of moral travesty or something, but Is Ariel right about this? Like unimpeachably. (laughs) Unimpeach. This is not difficult. This is not difficult. Unimpeachably correct. So, you know, would you again? What do you want us to say? And what's this going to do? You know what's going to do if I ever want to someone will send this clip to him? Because this is always what happens with a show like this. Someone's going to send this clip to him. And if I ever want an interview with Graham Boylan, it's going to be rejected. Guaranteed. 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 This is how that's going to go. That's, you know, how you know why I know that's going to go because that's always the way this goes. Me personally, I have just punted on the idea that I need to talk to all these people. Me personally, because I don't know how else to deal with it. I'm not going to shut up about it. So, what am I supposed to do? And again, I don't hate Graham Boylan. I don't even know Graham Boylan, and I don't hate Patty. I don't even know Patty. I don't know these people. But am I telling you that you can't be a promoter? And a manager at the same time? Yes, the fuck I am. Yes, obviously. It's like obviously true you cannot do both of those with the equal amount of vigor that you need to. One necessitates undercutting the other. You know, this is not hard. This is this is basic ethics. All right. Uh, Luke, thoughts on BC's first live chat? What did you like about it? What are some suggestions and tips? Didn't watch it, uh, but I did talk to him about it yesterday. Now, of course, I always have the choice of doing what BC has done for me, which is one of two different possibilities. One is uh, ignoring that it even exists and pretending that it's not a thing that he ever has to acknowledge. I I could return the favor that way. Or um, I could insult him to his face about it constantly and find something to pick on about it. That's what BC has done for my live chat. Now, lucky for BC, I'm not going to return the favor in that way, although I suppose I could. But um, I asked him what he thought of it. He really liked it. I don't think it's going to be weekly, but I do think it's going to be like once or twice monthly. And I think he enjoyed it. Seems like the people who part took enjoyed it couple things they want to do differently they want to clean up um uh, but he structures it differently than the one the way I structure this one so i'm happy that it's on the channel and i'm i hope it does well and uh again like we're partners I, i'm joking about the other stuff we're partners the success of that live chat only helps me which is something he didn't seem to understand for a long time but i hope he understands now so uh so, yeah, people seem to like it. It's going to be different. Like, he talks about different stuff. It's going to be way more boxing heavy than anything I do. But, yeah, it's out there. All right, let's see what else we got. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. Um, I don't know if I, this is the same one. In light of the recent drama between Patty and Ariel, your thoughts on the ethical considerations around paying athletes, kind of been over it. Is this a general journalistic standard or a special case for sports? Uh, It's not limited to sports, I can tell you that. From the surface level, it seems like athletes should get paid for their time. However, I'm sure there is more to the story. Well, if they want to get paid for their time, they can make those choices. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Or um, using the media opportunity to promote merch or, you know, I've got this new drink or something. But again, if you are paying for interviews and you are a journalist, that is also a conflict of interest because it changes the nature of what you're doing to something much like expressly and definitively transactional whereas in other cases it's not really the way that it's supposed to go um so that's why he doesn't pay you know now in fairness i think at at mk we have like gotten cars from people from hotels to the venue or that we're at or the studio so like we've paid in that sense but i don't don't think we've ever stroked a check um but yeah i'm told in uh, i'm I'm told in in europe and especially in england this is a common thing so maybe you should ask some editors over there what they think luke my man appreciate the love for the raid films as an indonesian there's not a lot to be proud of inside joke but those films serve us proud. What did you like most about them? Well, it's not just The Raid. It's The Night Comes for Us. It's The Raid 2. There's a whole bunch of these movies like that. Um, I've said this before. I, if you guys haven't seen it, on this very channel, I did a review of The Night Comes for Us, which is on Netflix. And you can hear basically most of my admiration for this version of cinema, which would answer your question more generally. Like, Folks, please don't misunderstand me. I love John Wick than the movies. I love all of them. They're great. I would love to watch a million more of them. I I don't think an honest person can say that John Wick is as good as The Raid. And I don't think anyone could say John Wick 2 or 3, and of course, 4 coming out soon. None of those hold a candle to The Raid 2. No one is doing fight choreography the way they are. Nobody, Nobody. Not with weapons, not hand-to-hand nothing like they are uniquely by themselves in that in that department and by a considerable distance and then when you add in that the director makes like for example the raid in the raid 2 how gritty and grimy and rough he makes everything look there's a certain kind of like haze that hangs over everything that's cinematic and quite intentional which i think adds to the choreography adds to that development the stories are thin they're very thin of course john wick's pretty thin as a story as well but if we're just talking about martial arts action and by the way how that's like not just hand-to-hand like kung fu versus kung fu but as i mentioned shootouts and what they're supposed to look like and going from room to room versus you know up or down at a at a at a at a fixed position against a moving target or whatever the case, like sniper versus area spread, or you name it, just any kind of munitions considerations, they're also better than than anything you'll else you'll see in American cinema. It's just like it's not just better, it's better by a considerable distance. And I just don't know how someone could watch those and be like, again, still very easy to love John Wick. John Wick's great but how anyone could look at those and be like, yeah, John Wick is better. I just don't I don't get that at all. I guess although John Wick is very gory, The Raid and those in that Indonesian style of cinema is even gorier. So I could imagine that might turn somebody off. Fair enough. People are getting hacked to pieces and the night comes for us with butcher knives. You know, that's a little fucked up, but um just in terms of action, if you don't believe me, by all means, take the Pepsi challenge. Go do it. All right, let's see here. Is what Sean O'Malley has with him being the only dude coached by Tim Welch, sort of like a boxer's camp, going to be something we see going forward in MMA? Number two, with the way he's talked about managers' roles in MMA, do you see fighters starting to take career into their own hands more? I do think you might see some of that. I think that some... Again, some managers, I, I work, by the way, some managers, I have like, you know, rough interviews or rough interactions with some of their clients and they, they don't hold it against me, but that is very much not common, very much not common. And it, even that takes a little while to, to get to that place. So the point I wanted to make here was about managers. I think some fighters see managers as not just gatekeepers in a negative way, but in a positive way, like this is my entry into exclusive access that I otherwise wouldn't get. So as long as that perception is around, I think MMA managers, for better or for worse, are going to be around. Um, I don't know about the Tim Welch side. Oh, like, you know, like a Roach and Pacquiao kind of thing. Maybe. I just tend to think that they have a particular bond. I don't know that they're trying to make some model to scale. Uh, just sort of seems like that's how they work. And there might be some others that go that way, but in general, probably not, you know. All right, let me make sure everything here is hunky dory. All right. Very good. Okay. Um let's see. If you talk to Rich Franklin again, will you ask him to admit that he lied to your face about hydration testing? I'd have to go back and review exactly what he told me, but if he, well again, lying means you know he was not telling the truth, which is a slightly more difficult thing to prove. And that is, to me, you have to be very careful careful about the questioning there. Um, but like that, there is an inconsistency between what he said and what is actually happening. Yeah, I'm happy to bring that up. No problem. Again, and this is, okay, perfect example. Perfect example. Chachri Sityatong lying through his lackey constantly about why he couldn't come on the podcast. And again, this is when I hosted MMA Hour. Right And understand something about how MMA Hour works. Not just you have a big platform. I've said this before. Think about everything you get when you go on that show. You get to be on the main video that is on for the show. You get your own video separate. They'll pull out your interview and make it a separate thing. They'll make at least one, if not two, sometimes three articles on it written. So you get the headline there in that way as well. They're going to make a TikTok or several assets about it. They're going to make an Instagram or several assets about it. They're going to make a social or several assets about it, both print a photo or video or some combination of all three, like you're going to get a ton of that, right? And so when I was offering that on that show, they said he was traveling and then he would go on like a rinky, I don't say which one, but a rinky dink podcast. Two of them, in fact, that no one was listening to at the exact same time, like lying to my face about it. You know, I'd love to ask him about it. You think he's going to fucking sit down with me? You know, of course he's not course he's not he's not he's not ever going to do that um, and you know I think to the extent that he could ever avoid an interview with me beyond just those considerations given my skepticism around hydration testing and the other bullshit that he says they just wouldn't do it they wouldn't do it right so you're like why don't I like doing interviews in part because for me I found that pinning down bad actors or people where there's actually some legitimate questions about They're not going to talk to people like me. They're never going to talk to people like me. And then on the other side, it's like you get these interviews with fighters where they're like not revealing injuries or, you know, part of the job is that they have to just not tell you the truth. And you get these these really dishonest conversations. That's why I kind of threw my hands up about the whole thing. Not that I don't want to talk to them under any circumstance. I just want to talk to them under honest circumstances. But sure. By the way, we're going to get Rich on again. I'm happy to ask him about it. Like, And again, here is my mindset when that interview goes down because it's been my mindset for the last 10 plus years. I'm going to ask him a series of questions, knowing full well that I need to be professional and I need to be factual, but they may piss him off. And there's a very good chance, if not the likeliest outcome, that he'll never come on again. That has, for me, been my reality for as long as I can remember. That has been my reality in this business for as long as I can remember. I have found that even slight pushback results in ostracism you know so you have to make sense of what the you as the viewer out there you need to make sense of the ostracism not just mine but any of it and what how valid you think that is you know because i'll tell you they'll put it on you for the sometimes for good reasons because i have made mistakes oh lordy i've made mistakes but there's been plenty of times where i I mean the vast majority of times in cases where it's happened i haven't and uh they'll still Stiff you. Would you prefer UFC to legalize knees to a grounded opponent like in one championship? It seems like change in the grappling game in so many intriguing ways. I will tell you that I'm a big fan of knees to, or I should say strikes to the head of a downed opponent. I'll say this. Probably I would want UFC to do that, but I don't know if the wider public is ready for that. I do think there are some questions. And if the wider public isn't ready for that, I will tell you that maybe I don't want UFC to do that. Maybe I actually think it's better. And again, for all my criticisms of one's leadership, I love their product. I love the one product. I think their rule set is so much better. And I like the way they judge fights so much better. And I like four-ounce Muay Thai in the cage. I know a lot of Muay Thai fans don't, but I, you know, personally speaking, I like it. I like it a lot. I like four-ounce kickboxing gloves in the cage. I really do. I think it's great um and to say nothing of all the other things that they do a little bit differently so a way that someone can be a and i've said this before like outside the UFC who has the most as a promotion who has the most unique product it's one one has the most unique product by by a, by a margin you know so if you're a promoter in the space and you're not named UFC one of the ways in which you can really set yourself apart from the competition is by having a different rule set. What we need are more commissions like Colorado, where they're going to be hosting this first show. One is their US debut. What we need are more commissions that are doing what Colorado's doing. Give the option to the promotion. I don't need every promotion to have the exact same rule set. But what I do need is commission latitude. So for the right show, they can do their product in their own way. And they're not under the obligation to do it just one way. That's how I feel about it. uh Luke, what do you think of karate combat's fighting pit i feel it solves a lot of problems with the cage no fence grabs and no wall walks good visibility and no using the cage to hold you up the problem is i'm not really sure how the grappling would work there um because a lot of grappling is pressing into the fence as a resistance mechanism and i don't know how you would get like a takedown up against that like leaning wall. I don't know exactly how that would work. They would lean back. Like you have to pull them out by their feet. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm sure they would come up with something, but that doesn't seem like a more efficient way to guide the sport. I do grant that for their purposes, like karate combat's purposes, by the way, I don't know if they're still their VP or PR guy. Who was it? One of the guys who worked there promised us an interview, me, NBC, promised us an interview and then yanked it out the last minute. You know, just another one of these fucking chumps that just lies constantly. But uh, not the guy who runs it, not Adam. Adam seems like a good dude, but one of his lackeys underneath some piece of shit, just a complete fucking fabricator. Um, Anyway, for their purposes, I do think that that pit makes a lot of sense and they have a good product, too. Like, I like their product. I like, I like a lot about their product. I like the way that it looks. I like how it's, you know, it's, it's not crazy different, but it is different. It's like, in other words, it's like responsibly different. I don't know how big the audience is for what they're doing, but it's to me, it's a, it's a great product. I just don't know if it works where in a sport where wrestling is involved and grappling is involved as much as it is. You know, again, there's no such thing as a pure form of fighting, all forms of fighting have various forms of constraints or differences. No one version is more real than the other. Now, certainly there are safer versions than other versions. Fighting some crazed guy on bath salts with a broken bottle in in an alleyway is different than having a sports competition where a referee can intervene on your behalf. But one version is no more legitimate as like true fighting than the other they're just different forms of it people like to imagine that there's differences because they're just exerting their preferences onto what they feel like is more natural but there's no such thing like i love joe rogan but you know when he talks about oh we should have no constraints just to be in the football field that's just another version of fighting that is no more real or unreal than any other one it's just a set of different constraints or uh different realities but it's not a pure form it's just a different kind that like trying to make this argument about like what real fighting authenticity is like. Granted, there are gradations of safety. There are gradations of what kind of strikes you're allowed. And I think there's a debate about classifying different types, but you know, if, as long as like, basically there's full contact that's allowed, which is a type, I don't see one as a more legitimate form than the other more useful, perhaps um, more dangerous in certain ways, the kind of conflict itself. But sure I, I think it's a total fantasy i don't think it exists um there's a question about being a dab. it's only got one like so i'm gonna skip it Hope that's okay uh let's see luke when are you going to start taking trt and will you document your journey to show us your progress boy i have been thinking about it a lot a lot and um i've been getting emails to get on it i'm probably i probably maybe next year honestly I'm not guaranteeing that to you, but maybe at a bare minimum this, this I can say with certainty, I will at 1000% meet with a doctor probably in the next few months um, to get my blood checked. See what they say. Am I a good candidate? Am I not a good candidate? I can't imagine I wouldn't be, but, um, but I won't, I, I would be honest about my life and the changes, but I would not like I'm not going to do like a vlog about it or something. You know what I mean? Like every day, well, today I got my injections and I feel like I'm moving books. Like I'm not going to do that. But would I be as open and honest about what it did for me, good or bad? Yeah, sure. So I don't know exactly when I'm going to get on it, but I'm almost certainly going to turn a corner in the next three or four months. Yeah. Um. Again, <laughs> here. I said it. I opened the show this way. Thoughts on Ariel's ability to annihilate those that veer from the path of truth when speaking about him. Yeah, these fucking dudes, man. You know? Again, no one's perfect. No one is above criticism. No one is above reproach. You, me, Ariel, President Biden, Donald Trump, fucking, you know, whoever. A- anyone's fair game in that way but if you're gonna do it might want to I'm gonna think about an approach because I guarantee you he has and um and he's not gonna let you off lightly you know so it better be it better be really important to you (laughs) it better be really important to you and if it's not you know you have the option to not say anything you know Um, Okay. This is an interesting one. I'm not really sure how to answer it. Luke, do you think the UFC should implement new rules about which fights fighters can accept? No. Unless the only way to fix that problem, the only way to fix that problem is to make them employees, at which point they would have to accept, right? Like when the schedule comes out for the NFL, remember, uh, let's pick someone, Lamar Jackson, right? If you're a European, you might not know who he is. Even if you're American, you might not know who he is. This is the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, okay? He's very good. Right? One of the best players in the NFL, top 5 quarterback, maybe even top 3, uh maybe even top 2. Like he's exceptional, okay? He's very very good. Um but he's an employee of the Ravens. He works fully as an employee for the Ravens. So when the Ravens and every other team Uh, gets together and then the NFL makes the schedule, they have to do that because that's part of a function of their job as an employee for the Ravens. Right? In order to make the fighters have less say about it. And by the way, they already put in penalties or at least they used to put in penalties. I've talked to John Nash about it. It used to be the case and I think it still is to some extent that when you decline a fight, it just extends your career on the back end. So the UFC just always wins. They're always playing with house money. But The real way to fix that is to um, make them employees. Other than that, there's not really much you can do except make the contracts more burdensome and penalizing. And I don't know that they win that way, to be honest with you. I don't think that's a good idea either. Again, getting back to this question, Luke, is there a scenario where MMA media and journalists should pay a fighter for an interview? You know what? Let me uh, look up something here see what I can find real quickly. Let's see. I'm going to see if I can find. There's a place I always go to on ethics and journalism. Let's see here. Okay. So let me pull this over for you here. Let's see if I can show it. I don't know if you can see this or not. Let me see. No, not yet. Let me see if I can pull this up for you and then blow it up. Okay, let me show this to you. So this is the Society of Professional Journalists. Now again, um, these are this is not the final say, but I would say that their work in terms of outlining what our ethical responsibilities and ethical practices are pretty good. And here's what they say. Money can corrupt almost anything it touches, and that certainly includes the news. The practice of paying for information, known as checkbook journalism, threatens to corrupt journalism. Paying for interviews directly or indirectly through so-called licensing fees, and there's other ways to do it, of course, is now accepted practice in Great Britain. Right, exactly as I told you. and has been uh, used by tabloid publications in the United States, blah, 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 blah. They admonish journalists to, quote, be wary of sources offering information for favors or money, avoid bidding for news, blah, blah, blah that's a little bit different That's kind of like getting news from someone versus sort of sitting down and like airing the interview but here's what else they say checkbook journalism undermines journalistic independence and integrity and threatens the accuracy of the information exactly what I told you first paying for info immediately calls into question the credibility second paying for information creates conflict of interest by writing a check for an interview the journalist now has a business relationship with the source right this is exactly what I told you guys Asking tough questions, examining the motives, weighing the credibility of a source, all of these journalistic functions become intricately more complicated when the source is someone receiving money for a story. And third, once a media outlet has paid for the information, it is less likely to continue to search for the details of the story for fear it might uncover conflicting information. And it goes on from there. Now, um, you can decide which of those are in play or not, but as you can see, it's considered very poor form for someone in journalism to be paying for this kind of stuff but this is the thing that like the rest of the mma media has to wake up to like you know these these dudes who like you know whether you want to call them content creators whatever the fucking word is these guys from full send like i don't know the guys from full send and their shit's way popular more popular than anything i've ever done right i understand that like it's be like oh you're taking shots of people who did better i mean i don't want to do what they do although what they do is not necessarily all that different from what i do but but here's the truth Let's imagine something. I don't know that this to be the case, but let's imagine something. Let's imagine that they paid for interviews. Dude, if you're a fighter and you have on the one hand, again, not Ariel's case, but in other cases, like obsequious media, right? Who just don't really ask you hard questions for fear of like fucking up this relationship with the manager or, you know, getting ostracized or someone who behaves exactly the same way, but just puts money on top of it. Well, who the fuck are you going to talk to? And even if they did this job correctly, where they were like, not adversarial, but, you know, asking tough questions and trying to sense the motives and all the other things we just saw. And then the other one's not going to do that. And they're going to pay like, who the fuck would you talk to if you were a fighter and you just didn't really care about the difference, right? This class of folks, they're not protected in the industry. The people who are trying to do journalism, they're not protected. They have to protect themselves. And there's ways in which you can do that in the case of done it by a number of ways. And one of those is like the size of the audience that he has and the size of the profile he has in the sport. He is some, somewhat uh, immune to some of these challenges, you know. But for the vast majority of us, um, you know, you're up against a very difficult circumstance. If you do that job correctly, they just will stop talking to you. They'll <laughs> stop talking to you. You know, living fucking proof, man. Living fucking proof. Or, or look at Ariel. How many people like have ostracized him? Living fucking proof. Dude, they'll go after you. And again, his profile is so big that some of that is negated. But like, you know, his getting sideways with Ali or whatever. What do you think that's based on? Like, what do you think that's based on? Um, Let's see. Luke, would you like to amend your statement from last week about BC's max lifts? Why? What did I say? That was so bad. Also, I think I speak for everyone. I say we would love to see you take BC to the gym to settle the debate for good. Guys, I will tell you, I don't even know for the first time in my life. Well, I shouldn't say that for the first time in my adult life. I don't know how much I can deadlift right now. I don't know how much I can squat or bench. Like when I tell you guys, like I'm exclusively using kettle. Okay. 98% using kettlebells for everything I'm using 98% kettlebells for everything I don't know how strong. I mean I'm I'm like stronger than him you can you can rest assured that's true but in terms of like the standard core lifts bench um, deadlift squat overhead press I beat whatever he did but I, I don't I don't know I don't even know what it would be anymore I really don't and I don't even care I just care about function mobility longevity. That's the only thing I care about anymore. I'm not really like the max lifts question is a question for people 40 and are 39 and under. Like once you get to my stage, yeah, you want to be as strong as you can be. That's true. But the requirements of doing that and the ways you did them in your twenties and thirties, they're just not really for most people. They're not going to be, uh, accessible to you. Let me do a couple more of these since I had such a long answer up front. There's an interesting one. Luke, my favorite fighter of all time is Dan Hardy, and that was when he was just an entertaining, brash striker. Over the years, he has evolved into one of the best minds in the game. How much different do you think his UFC career would gone if he had the fight IQ then that he has now? I don't know that he ever had poor fight IQ. He just His talents were only at a certain developed level, and then over time, he's... Yeah, yeah okay, so there's been... You know, I, fight IQ... Um, I think he's got pretty high fight IQ, but I get what you're saying. Like when he was dueling with Carlos Condit, that was not especially great for him. Um, Probably pretty far. I mean, the sport was in a different place. All of us were in a different place back then, you know, when he was fighting Rumble Johnson and getting out wrestled by him on versus. I mean, I remember that explicitly, you know, but that's like that's a, that's a different era of the sport, basically. Um Probably would have gone a little bit better. Probably would have gone a lot better. But I don't, you know, we still have beaten GSP in terms of the wrestling. Like, that to me is just, GSP was just ahead of the game, man. There was only so much that could have happened. So, and by the way, like, Dan had a good UFC career. He fought for a title. He was a British, in many ways, you know, know, maybe something of a pioneer, like, and important figure in the sport. Like, he didn't have a bad career by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, could have been a little bit better, you know, with now all the wisdom that he's acquired and applying that to the skill set and the physicality that he had then. Sure, could have been a difference, but um, he's he's not some failure that, you know, would have like massive upgrade by virtue of all the things he's acquired in terms of wisdom now. Um, he, he he was He was pretty successful. All right, let's go to, let's see if there's any more. Oh, buddy boy, this is an easy one. Hold on, last one. Luke, I want to start working out from home, but I don't have much space. What is the bare minimum equipment you recommend for light to moderate strength and stability training? Dude, you just need, you know, a 10 foot by 10 foot space. You don't need hardly anything. And you really don't need even need two kettlebells, although two would be much better than one for the reasons about what you could do with it. But even just one good kettlebell, the reason why you could do that is because basically you can do body weight stuff for your upper body very easily without any equipment. It's when you get to your legs that like all the air squats and stuff like that that becomes like the high repetitions that you need uh like a heavy like a 32 34 kilo um kettlebell will enable you to put that under load in ways that you wouldn't ordinarily get a weighted vest could be another one on some of those but um but the kettlebell is just much more versatile in terms of like positioning and and how you can use it you don't need much like I don't know how big you are. If you wanted to start with like a set of like 16 kilogram kettlebells, maybe you're stronger. You go to 24 or something like that. uh, And you're off to the right, dude, that seriously, that is all you need. You don't need anything else. Like, yes, having more equipment would give you more options. That's true. But can you get jacked with a proper diet, good sleep, good nutrition, right? In terms of hydration and everything else and two good kettlebells that are appropriately sized for you in terms of how much they weigh, can you get jacked that way? 1,000%, 1,000% you can get jacked that way. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. All right, what about Graham Hancock's ancient apocalypse? His theory of a highly technological advanced species preceding modern man on earth seems to be thoroughly debunked and dismissed <laughs> by his fellow colleagues in academia. Yeah, I bet it does. And yet constantly resurfaces. Guys, I know that, actually I don't know. I get the uh, feeling that many of you are a little bit more distrusting of academia than maybe I am. And I don't mean like, I'm not talking about like, you know, on like feminist dance in the Renaissance. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like engineering, physics, math. I I, I, I know people that went into those roles. I know a guy who's a professor of, what is it nuclear engineering at Johns Hopkins I went to high school with this kid trust me when I fucking tell you that like whatever any kind of those scientists say and granted this is slightly well actually this is very different in many ways but um I know how smart those guys are excuse me jet propulsion I think is what he typically works on uh for Johns Hopkins I know how fucking smart those guys are I'm gonna defer to them I have to tell you that I'm gonna defer to them When you actually meet someone who's like really smart and then has devoted their adult life to the study of a very complicated and difficult topic and they're very good at it. uh, And when you actually see the depths of that, like people questioning them to me, is just a fucking joke. Like, yeah, of course they're not immutably right, but uh, they're gonna be a lot more right than the average fuckhead watching Netflix who thinks something sounds interesting. I'm going to guess that if his colleagues have dismissed him, you know, I, I, I've not even seen one episode of Ancient Apocalypse. But if that's the case, I'm going to side with his colleagues. I, I tend to think they're probably he's probably a fucking idiot. So can't say that for sure. But there you go. All right, let's get to your comments. Here we go. Uh, look, I have a friend who thinks with six months of full time training he could beat a top five women's straw weight. Okay, Jessica Andrade right she can make it he was a collegiate athlete 28 years old 6'4" 220 and still in good shape what are his chances well this is why weight classes were introduced um so he might be right but you know we're talking about a guy who'd be a heavyweight saying i could beat a woman half my size yeah congratulations john wayne you're a fucking hero <laughs> like what does that prove that proves that like you can literally beat uh, the the most physically outmatched version of any UFC fighter we could think of. Okay, uh, maybe on that level it's true, but you know, lessen lessen the despair. Like the question is not against that. The question is like, how would he do against Gabby Garcia? Do Gabby Garcia would fuck your friend up, real 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 nicely, real nicely. Uh, Luke. Thanks for getting BC to do a live chat. Who do you think is the male and female fighter of the year if it's down to Pereira and Volk? Volk? Then Wiley or La- Larissa? Ooh. That's an interesting one. Definitely Volk because he became the pound for pound fighter this year, partly because of Kumaru's loss, but you also have to be in that, you have to be number two in that spot to get it. So I just think the accumulated greatness of what he has achieved, although not all of it a function of this year would probably put him ahead, although there's, that's a debate. The Wiley or Larissa one is interesting. Larissa had the more... Um, certainly more shocking victory. And the more surprising... Yeah, I might say Larissa. I might. I, mean, I think Jean Wiley is overall... Like, if I was making a pound-for-pound pound list, she'd be way ahead. So maybe put... I, hold on. Did Padena get all of his wins? Let me see here. Me check this out here. Did... Let's see that here real quickly. Let's put this up so you guys can look at it too. Okay, let me see here. Take that off. Let me do this. So in 20... Let me blow it up here a little bit. Okay. In 2022, he beat Bruno Silva, Sean Strickland, and Izzy. Okay. Okay. So then let's go. I'm just going to type in Volk and see what comes up. Okay, there's Volk. What did he do in 2022? He beat Chan Sung Jung and then beat the fuck out of Max Holloway. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I still, I know it's only two versus the three, but I still think those two and then the domination of them, yeah, I would still go Volk. So then let's, the other one was Zhang Wiley. So let's go to Zhang Or she, I can't even see it. Uh, Let's see. There. What did she do in 2022? She beat Joanna and Jaycek and knocked her out, and then Carla and knocked and then stopped her in the second round. Okay, that's pretty good. Now, what did Chaco do? Larissa in 2022. 2022, Jesus. She fought. Faisal Nova, uh, Fabian, Koles- Kolesnik, and then Harrison. But she did it from May. So she fought in May, then July, then August, and then in November. Dude, I'm, I just think you'd have to give it to Pacheco because John Wiley's victories are much better. But to do that, because you know you were going to be fucking injured half the time, like... I would, I just, that's a much much greater workload. And for that reason, I would give it to her. So it's a much, it was a bigger load of work for Pereira than Volk, but the difference is that the quality of the wins were much higher. The quality of the wins are much higher for John Wiley. However, the difference in overall workload, plus the Kayla Harrison victory being actually very substantial to me is the difference maker there. That's how I would go. Uh, Appreciate it, sir. How much fun was that tank interview? Man, I fucked that tank interview up. It ended up doing really well for us. I think it's over 100K. k. actually ended up doing better than my Izzy interview where I interviewed him in his mansion. But um, um, by the way, another guy that I can kind of press a little bit, but only by virtue of how much like rapport I've built up with him. So you can get to the other side of things, but it's kind of hard. But So they told me I had 20 to 30 minutes with him. And I was like, okay, well, that means I probably have 20. He was two and a half hours late for the interview. <laughs> okay. So, sort to of point that out, he was two and a half hours late. So, I had to wait around for two and a half hours. He shows up, and we're in a small little suite. And there might have been, I mean, 30 dudes he was rolling with. Like, it was like this audience right on top of us. It was crazy. Uh, but I still, there were two questions I wanted to get to. That I didn't get a chance to get to because I thought I was like 10 minutes in. And then the producer comes over and gives me the rap signal. And I'm like, well, fuck, I didn't even. And get to half of this shit, so I didn't get to any questions about Floyd and them splitting, which ended up not being a big deal because everyone else asked him in the scrum, so it actually made my interview a little bit different. That part's not the big deal. The one that was the big deal that I did not get to was about the fact that this dude's got a jury of his peers he's going to have to face in February. This dude is facing up to seven years in prison for various crimes, alleged crimes anyway, related to a hit and run in Baltimore around his birthday. And that trial I think starts in February. And dude, if he is convicted on all counts, he is facing up to seven years in prison. So now does he have to get out of that? He has a fight in January and he's supposed to fight Ryan Garcia after that. I'm like, dude, how are you? Like, I don't know what happened. I know what the media wrote about that story. My view on the alleged criminality of it is he's gonna be judged by a jury of his peers. And I'm gonna look at the evidence when that goes down and we're gonna see what, what happens. And if he gets found guilty, then that's the situation he created for himself like you know who does he have to blame at that point but um but just on a boxing level like dude that is a massive thing that could disrupt all of this and there's just not enough people talking about it fucking including me because i messed up the goddamn timing of the interview i didn't get a chance to get to any of it so other than that i actually really enjoy talking to tank like he's very reserved and um you know i i here's what bc and i think bc and i talked about this BC thinks that Tank Davis is MMA fans' favorite boxer. Is that true? That's what that's what he thinks. I think he's right. Because like, maybe Canelo's the answer. You could have said triple G a few years ago. I don't think that's true anymore. There are definitely some like MMA media types who like in Um, but in general, he thinks it's it's Tank Davis. So well, there you go. Uh, what'd you make of Hilani bodying old Patty and Dana? We kind of been over this. I appreciate the donation, but um, yeah, we've been over it. Any chance we could get Rockhold for Room Service Diaries? Hearing Brian tried to ask Luca about his Instagram DMs might possibly be comedic gold. Um, unlikely. Unlikely. Um, I'll leave it at that. Unlikely. Uh, hardest Brian has ever made you laugh. Ooh, he's had a bunch of good ones. Um. I mean, I laughed my ass off yesterday when he was spitting out all that water. That was pretty fucking funny. I don't know if you guys saw that, but uh, hard as he's made me laugh, he made me dude. Like we've he's made me laugh a lot, a lot. Usually with off the record shit, he can't say to you. <laughs> uh, if what Ariel Helwani says about Dana White that he has been constantly trying to get him removed from his ESPN, BT Sport, and Fox gigs. The level of pettiness as you would put it is egregious i mean i don't i'm not i didn't work with him at espn obviously everything was before that and so i don't know about bt sport or whatever but like when he was working at fox you know and that's his story to tell but like yeah dude this is what i mean like if if dana did that to me i'd probably be in some marketing meeting across town right now you know what i mean with some lobbying group or you know non-profit or something something i don't know i don't know if i'd be in this industry anymore like ariel was able to withstand it but um yeah it's it's crazy they've they've he they've really tried to undermine him big time stats versus sabatella who you got and why man this is a tough one stats is more well-rounded for sure, for sure more well-rounded, but it's a five-round fight, and I do think Sabatello's the better wrestler, and I wonder if that might be the difference maker over five. I'll say this. If Sabatello can only get the takedown like once every couple of rounds, he'll lose. He has to be able to get it fairly consistently and then do something with it, so it's a tough one. Luke, could you see? I'm just going to say Yuri. I'm not sure how the fuck to pronounce these names anymore. Beating any top 15 heavyweights. Oh yeah, of course. Let's pull up the let's pull up the old rankings, shall we? Let's blow it up. Still doing fucking crypto ads. Isn't that hilarious? Just doing crypto ads. It's like you guys haven't lost enough fucking money yet. Uh okay. Heavyweights. Let's go to the heavyweights. Could he beat anyone? Could he be Shamil Abderrakimov? I think yes. Blugoy Ivanov. I uh, That's a little tougher, but I think yes. See, Romanov is is tricky. Spivak, maybe. Maybe. Kristakis, maybe. I'll put that maybe even a yes. Martin Tibora maybe. After that, it begins to get a little dicier, but certainly in the 11 to 15 space, with some exception, I think he could do pretty well. Yeah. Uh let that's, oh, that's an old one. Sorry. What other state would you think about moving to guys? Here's the dilemma. I actually had a conversation with big John about this. Here's the dilemma. There are a lot of places I would like to live, right? I do love DC. I will always love DC, but I wouldn't necessarily have to stay here. The problem is like other places I would want to go. Like I would want to go to somewhere potentially in California, like Southern California, like Southern Southern California, like San Diego. My wife really likes San Diego. Um, That could be one place. We could go to Florida, but Florida is a fucking nightmare. I'd have to put my kids in public or private school, which would be very expensive. I'd have to get more money from CBS to do that. But CBS has a place down there I could do it. But really, none of those really solve the problem. The issue is Showtime built us a studio in Jersey City, literally across the water from Manhattan. It's right there when you get out. Like, let me show you the picture of if you guys have never seen it. Let me show it to you real quickly here. I'm going to show you exactly what I see when I get out of the studios. Okay. So peep this, right? This is us leaving the studio. Where is this shit? Oh, for fuck's sake. Seriously. Hold on. Um, Did I seriously... I didn't even delete that one. How is it not showing up in this fucking thing? Maybe I didn't geotag it or something. Well, I don't... Christ, don't crutches. I don't have it in front of me. But rest assured, it's like literally like on the water across the waterway from Manhattan. So anywhere has to be kind of close to that. Okay, you go to Philly. Philly's a little bit cheaper, but I don't really know anyone in Philly, and it is closer, and it is cheaper, but it's not like a like i don't know if it's an upgrade Uh, so there's that new york city is prohibitively expensive jersey city is now prohibitively expensive for the most part and i don't want to live in jersey city anyway you're like oh you could live in a suburb but my wife doesn't want to live in a suburb she wants to live in a place where there's people that's i I, she's a city person i'm a city person i know like some people who you know you might watch a little too much fox news and think that cities are all hellscapes you are extremely mistaken um so you could go to Boston, but that's really cold. And I don't really know anyone in Boston. Like the, the reality is we have to be close to that space and getting further away only makes my job harder, even if it might be a place I want to live. So like what's better than D.C. given the circumstances, there's cheaper places, but they're not they don't meet some of the other needs that we have. So I don't really know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck this question's asking. Using where we are in a sentence versus where we are at. Need to hear your thoughts on the strict rule as opposed to BC's ever-evolving war with the king's English. Yeah, you're never supposed to end a sentence with the word at. Where are you at? You'd never say, where are you? Um, also, an overused word is the word that, right? Uh, he said that he went to the store. That doesn't serve any real function. He said he went to the store. You can just drop that. Yeah, I mean, you know, BC's got a lot of issues. I don't know if picking on this one is the biggest one we have to pay attention to. All right. Also, good for Patty to set up the anti-bullying charity. Fine. But he has said some heinous racist stuff before. Shocker. He has lost multiple social media accounts due to setting his followers to harass others. Yeah, that's uh, not great. Not great. Uh, We're facing Portugal on Saturday. We just beat... Who did? Oh, Espana, I think that's what they're saying. Yes, for Morocco, yeah, dude, Morocco, can you beat Morocco, dude? They pff, they must have been saying the word joder in Madrid that night, boy. Uh yes, go Morocco, that'd be great. Wow, that is an extremely generous donation. Jesus fuck, man. After years of consuming your content, I thought I'd pay it back. Hope you can treat the fam to a dinner and fun activity. Yeah. Um, well, we now have to put her in uh, aftercare. We're losing our nanny, so um, yes, I appreciate this uh, very much. Um, very, very kind of you. Extremely. Like for folks out there, like I'll take as little as a penny. So um, this is extremely nice, and I really appreciate that. Does travel actually affect performance? Everyone. Rightfully praised Haney. Not, nothing mentioned about Volker Izzy flying for every big fight. It can. I am. I don't know if there's any truth to this. I am told it's worse going from like the United States to Japan than the Japanese coming here. That was a thing that like Phil Barone used to be real big on uh, about how it would disrupt your circadian rhythm either way, but it would disrupt it much worse in that direction versus this direction. But either way, it's such an adjustment. Those guys don't make excuses for it, so I don't know that we should for them. But it is one of these insane hurdles that they have to overcome. And again, at this point, F- Izzy and Volk are financially well off enough where they can afford. You know, I, I saw that mansion Izzy was renting. I, I, Sixty thousand a month to rent that bitch. Sixty k a month. I mean, I think it was like uh, for sale for like fourteen million, something like that. You got a spare fourteen mil lying around, so they can afford to get there early enough to get that out of their system. What I'm pointing out is. It, it can absolutely be a detrimental thing. Thoughts on the undignified end to the CR7 career. Man, you guys following this? Juventus didn't want that motherfucker. Manchester United didn't want him. And now even... Dude, if you guys didn't follow this, I didn't see the game, but I did see the stat line. Portugal benches Ronaldo, and then the dude, Gonzalo, they put in his place had a fucking hat trick, scored three. <laughs> like... The stones on the manager to do that, to start him on the bench, and then the guy who replaced him, like, balled out of control. Um, You know, listen, he's one of the most, he's one of the best guys who's ever done this sport ever, right, in Ronaldo, one of the guys. And he was at Madrid, he was untouchable, right? In terms of, um, like, what he meant for that institution. What is he, 37, 38 now? The end has come for him. I know like Zlatan Ibrahimovic is like 40 or 41 or something. So everyone ages differently. But I think for him, the real big issue is, aside from the fact that he's got an insanely massive ego, he just needs to accept that there's still other leagues he could be playing in and contributing in. Like, dude, Thierry Henry, when he played for the New York Red Bulls, Thierry Henry has a claim to be the best MLS player ever. And when he played there, he wasn't good enough to really get the best out of himself in Barcelona or as part of the um, um, Invincibles for Arsenal. He was in a different stage of his career. So we treated it like a different stage of his career, and he balled the fuck out for the New York Red Bulls. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot in the grand scale of soccer or football, but, like, he was able to, like, have a really impactful, important, meaningful, athletic... um, run at the the end of his career and maybe there's reports if you guys haven't seen the whole sign with some Saudi Saudi Arabian team CR7 will for 200 million a year a year right I think it's like a three-year deal so he'd be getting paid um so maybe that's where he goes but it's just clear like he's not good enough for high-level international play he's not good enough to play for a big club Certainly not in the starting role. Maybe you could put him off the bench, but like a guy like that doesn't want to do that. It's time to go to a smaller league. It's just time. It's time. Dude, again, you can't beat Father Time. You can only get out of its way. That's it. That's it. Marvin Vittori versus Nurmagomedov. Who wins at 185? Like in an MMA fight? Because I'm thinking about wrestling. Probably Vittori. Probably Vittori. Dude, weight classes matter. They matter. Shouldn't fighters be medically suspended at least six months after KOs? Tui Vasa was KO'd three months ago. How could he absorb more trauma in another fight so soon after? Different commissions have different rules. Two KOs in three months shortens careers. Same with Marlon Moraes and Corey Sandhagen. It certainly can. Now, Corey Sandhagen, I think, took a lot of time off, and I think he's okay. But with Moraes, I don't think he ever really recovered um yeah they're probably sh- dude you're talking about state athletic commissions like they're not necessarily going to be all that rigorous also they might suspend you six months but if you go to a doctor and get like a clear cat scan or something a lot of states will just say okay you're done you're off suspension go do whatever you want you know yeah like this is why when people are like oh we can't allow peds because of health and safety it's like dude i can think of a lot of things we can fix about health and safety that have fuck all to do with that and are much more important and easier to fix Luke is a Chelsea fan. Our best players always get injured, and the crap ones are having a great World Cup. Would you play better for? Cl- <laughs> um, maybe it's your physios down there in in uh, Chelsea that are the issue. There was an issue with a guy who was doing some of the extra, uh, not a physio, but one of the guys who was like uh, in charge of um, training. It was a trainer for Real Madrid who was getting everyone injured. Like was fucking up Gareth Bale a few seasons ago. They sacked him. Um. Who would I play better for? Dude, I don't play good either way, you know. I will say this. It just blows my mind how much people love the World Cup. I mean, I get it. But, like, as a demonstration of great soccer, it's not the best tournament by even a fucking mile. Like, Champions League is so much better, you know. Please, J-pronounce fighter names your best and move on. Every time it's a five-minute debate, which ends up being more annoying. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. A little bit of a typo in your thing. But, yeah, that's fair. This might be perceived as a silly question, but is having a manager an absolute must? No. Why can't fighters directly negotiate contracts? Because they don't know how to directly negotiate contracts. They can. I think they feel intimidated. Um, But again, if you listen to John Nash, what he has argued in looking at the numbers and in communications and in contracts, his argument is that there just does not appear a lot of evidence that the managers actually get pay increases absent, or sorry, that there's not a lot of evidence that they are the contributing factor to pay increases. Pay increases do happen, but they tend to happen on a formulaic time schedule, or um, it's all all kind of like written, it's all kind of prearranged. And so it's not clear in his judgment that they're actually meaningfully adding anything. I I don't know, I, I would need to look into the situation further to have a really better argument one way or the other about that, but that's been his view. and there's been the views of other ones where it's like, here's what you definitely need. This one I would say is non-negotiable. You don't have to have a manager, but you definitely need an attorney. You definitely need an attorney. You need an attorney to read the terms of any deal, sponsor deal, promotional deal, you name it, anything. You do, even I have an attorney for the deals that I sign. Like my deal is with CBS Sports is up in the like third quarter of next year. So I'm going to have to renegotiate with them um i have an attorney who helps me with that you know so if even i have an attorney and i'm not making some of the paychecks that some of these bigger fighters are making they need an attorney you need an attorney how much heat do you think dana and the ufc will get if raul rosas suffers a bad loss where he clearly looks out of his depth would it be deserved the thing is no one's trying to stick it to the ufc like in that way it's not about that it's it's about the kid it's about it's about rosas it's about him it's not about like you know do you think we'll get to get a lot of heat yes i'm sure they will get some criticism but in the end it's like i like we don't want a world where we have to yell at promotions for getting guys fucked up like with sage Northcutt and cosmo alexandre we don't want to live in that world want to live in a world where you can avoid that kind of thing and so yes i'm sure that will happen but like you're asking me who i'm thinking about in those cases i'm not thinking about ufc practices as much as i am jesus like we don't want this to happen to this kid Now, i don't think that's necessarily going to happen here i mean the kid, the kid is good he's good they would have to really kind of fuck up the matchmaking at this point for him to get like his ass kicked you know um i he, he's he's talented he'll he'll be okay i think this weekend win or lose And if he gets knocked out in 30 seconds, like, dude, adult grown men get knocked out in 30 seconds. The problem is at age 17, 18, whatever he is at this point, uh, how much that could derail him because he doesn't have all these other sort of resources competitively built up. That's the problem. That's where it could be like, it's not just that, like, it's a bad idea because a kid gets hurt. It's a bad idea because a kid could get hurt and it could fuck up his future. I think that's the part that I I, I have concerns about. It's not about being anti-Rosas or even anti-UFC per se, although, again, bad practices should be called out. It's a question of, um, let's make sure he gets taken care of. UFC is against Western principles. What are Western principles? It is ran more like a state-backed Russian or Chinese organization. That doesn't make even a lick of sense. I'm sorry, sir. I appreciate your donation. I really do. But that is, you're just saying words. Just sitting appreciation. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Uh, If an MMA version of Shakur Stevenson can't miss prospect came around would the UFC break the bank to sign him. Yes. Even if he's only 18 at the time, he would have to have some kind of accomplishment making him, making them break the bank to do it. But yes, the only asterisk about Stevenson is he can't really crack. He doesn't have big power, but otherwise he's about as sharp as a boxer is ever going to get. He is a marvel. I heard it is illegal to stop an athlete from doing an Olympic sport. Like an MMA goes, What? I don't, I've never heard that ever. The big issue for me is not that. The big issue is that, um, judo, for example, like you can open up a judo gym, but because it's a, a and, and even wrestling, you can open up whatever you want in terms of teaching it. But if you're going to be part of the athletic pipeline, a lot of it is not for profit. I don't think the jujitsu people want a not for profit sport. Sorry. This may be old news, but what is your take on Aaron Pico and TJ Dillashaw suffering the same shoulder injury with the same trainer weeks apart? Now, I don't know that that I don't have enough medical information to make any kind of broad claim between the two, nor do I understand their situations enough to know that it's anything more than coincidence. It certainly doesn't look great, which is where your question comes from. And I respect that and understand that. But you, you really have to ask yourself, what do we know? What do we know? About the situation we don't know much however i will say in the case of pico when they were yanking on his arm like that apparently dana white and talking to patty on his podcast was saying that's what got yuri's shoulder again. How, you know, however he pronounce his name yizzy whatever it is uh that's how they fucked up his shoulder so not not great that the corner did that for pico and the other side with tj dill shot we talked about this on mk yesterday dude like i'm not thrilled about his situation like <sighs> it is impossible to explain to a young again it might be true for young women too i can only talk about the men because you know, the military background and everything else it is impossible to explain this to young men that at 25 you need to take care of yourself in such a way that you're not asking a lot of hard questions about your life at 45 that's true financially that's true physically that's true in a lot of different ways and these guys when they do this to themselves they are not living for 45 take my motherfucking word for it trust me trust me trust me Guy who's had shoulder surgery had it labrum was falling out or labrum was torn shoulder was falling out in my sleep among other places to this day it doesn't feel normal and that's a very modest injury compared to some of these guys Dude, tj dillashaw went through with that fight and had no ability to compete in it didn't show up for it at all. I mean, he couldn't. He, I'm sure I'm sure mentally he wanted to, but he physically could not. And what did he get from it on top of it? He might have a shoulder, in all likelihood, he will have a shoulder that doesn't work right the rest of his life, if not, if not worse. Like you I just don't understand the decision making there. I just don't. I don't you can't tell me that was the right call. I understand that there's other pressures, right? And he wanted to get around that, but like all you're doing is substituting one kind of pressure for a different kind. I don't want to give up this opportunity now and live with regret. Okay, we can fix that problem. You can go fight and you won't have to live with the regret that you gave it up. On the other hand, we're going to potentially give you quality of life issues with the most important joint in your upper body for the rest of your life. I don't know. I mean, I, I that doesn't, I'm not making that trade. You know, I'm not making that trade. If you and BC were in prison, who'd be the girl? I think we know the answer to that. Wrist wraps in BKFC, I think better without. No, less broken hands and more realistic to a real fight. Again, there's no such thing as a real fight. Doesn't exist. Uh, What is a real fight? Oh, a real fight's a street fight. Why is that a real one? In some ways, that's more dangerous. In some ways, it's far less dangerous than other ones. Certainly more unpredictable. What makes it real? Uh, Trust me, these guys who are going to fight on Friday at Bellator and Saturday at UFC, that's very real. Super real much more serious consequences they could face. Like what makes it real? you People just using words here that don't mean anything. And the wrist wraps are important so they don't break their hands as easily or break their wrists. It's actually quite important. I'm very much in favor of it. Jensen, thank you for the donation. Uh, Nacho, thank you for the donation. Six years prison, stealing $2 billion. Argument for you. I don't know what that, you're talking about Kirchner? Who are you talking about? Who are some fighters who don't have the flashiest record, but the eye test was undeniable. Frank Mir and Gustafson come to mind for me. Dude, Frank Mir was a champion, uh, at least an interim champion. No, he was a real champion. He was a heavyweight champion and an interim champion. That's a pretty fucking great record. Uh, Again, the one I would go back to, and he was champion too, but he has so many losses, is Couture. Couture has like a gazillion losses, but when he won, you felt like he was unstoppable that night. Really had this, this sort of bizarre effect. Why do women in individualized sports like MMA and tennis seem to excel more and more and be more well-respected than in team sports like soccer and basketball? I think it's, um, I will tell you, like, it's hard to compare, like, the athleticism and the team play of, like, a great WNBA team with, like, a really great NBA team. There's such a clear drop-off. But when you're watching a fight, it's not like you're not cognizant of some of those things but they just seem much less in play. You don't seem to notice them nearly as much. I think the smaller gloves in MMA brings like their punching power to life. Uh, Again, the the dynamism of MMA where they can use their throws and their body like judo and like like Rousey and how there could be these high amplitude throws or vicious back takes or something. It just, the difference between what you see in that and the male counterparts, again, there's very big differences between female MMA and, and male MMA. What I'm saying is the differences between the, like what what could hold a a person back from liking the women's sports in MMA between the women's and the men's is much smaller than in team sports, um, be that basketball or you know soccer or whatever. It holds it back a little bit because I think it's sort of there's more collective uh, conditions of restraint than um, than just with individualized fighting. We got to wrap this up because I got to get moving. Luke, how far do you think Ilya is from a title shot if he beats Bryce? Ooh, two to three more, something like that. Two more, maybe. Super sticker. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Luquito, going to D.C. in April for the Cherry Blossom run. Oh, fun. And to visit family. Top three restaurants in D.C. that you would recommend. I'm a little bit out of the loop on this one because I don't really go out to eat very much. Hardly at all anymore top three um good burger would be duke's grocery that's a good one you can have what else would i say um tico i love tico on 14th street fun little place to eat and little Cerro, if you can get in they don't take reservations but it's some of the most amazing food you'll ever have rosica is pretty good Lardent's pretty good uh, a little expensive lardent that's more of a fancy place uh, what about like a cheap place that's like good to eat, like really good cheap food? Um, oh, and then pizza, Emmy Squared, Emmy Squared Pizza, cheap pizza, fucking great. Wise Guys is pretty good too. Last but not least, Luke, did you see that San Francisco is going to implement lethal police? I just can't believe these fucking idiots agreed to this. I guess we're living in iRobot now, dude. Even the robot ethicists who were working for Boston Dynamics. Told the city of San Francisco, do not equip these machines uh, to do anything with lethal force at all whatsoever. Dude, the robotic ethicists, or excuse me, the robot ethicists were adamant about it, and the city still ignored them. (laughs) You just have to be kidding. You just have to be kidding. So, yeah, terrible, terrible, terrible. And then crazy donation here from Octavius. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it. All right. We got to get out of here. Thank you so much for watching. This was a long one. I hope you appreciated it. As usual, podcast will go up tonight. You can hear my daughter out there. I gotta get. I gotta go see what she's up to. I thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, like and subscribe. The whole nine yards. Until next time. You can stay frosty.